So far we've considered two issues of distinction. The existence of God, which differentiates between atheists and agnostics on the one hand, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, and others on the other hand. We've also talked about the identity of God, which distinguishes between Buddhists and Hindus, between Jews and Islamics, and Christians. In doing so, we've briefly surveyed evidence that supports a belief Number one, that God exists and that the God of Abraham, the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, is the one true God. Now our next issue of distinction is very simple. The identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Jews and Muslims both believe that Jesus was just a good man, a prophet perhaps. But Christians profess much, much more. Christians say, and it's part of their conversion, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 38, we find uh, the Ethiopian eunuch being asked, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And the eunuch responds, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the eunuch was baptized, and he was able to go on his way rejoicing, being saved because he made the good confession. I want to examine some claims made about Jesus and see how they hold up to what the scriptures say. The New Testament makes bold claims about Jesus. They present him to be the Messiah, foretold all the way from Genesis, all the way through the prophets in the Old Testament, but seeing he is seen as the Messiah, uh, as the one who has come in the confession of Peter uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're Jeremiah, some say that you're Isaiah or one of, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus makes the question personal, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. We see in Luke's description of Jesus' conversation following his resurrection in Luke 24, verse 25 through 27, we see uh, in the introduction, the prologue to John's gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made without him. With him, everything was made that was made. The New Testament allows only two alternatives. Jesus is everything the New Testament authors claim, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, 1 Timothy 4, 6, 14 and 16. The New Testament is a carefully orchestrated fraud, this is number two, written purposely to deceive. The authors leave us no other choice. Either their story is true or they were false witnesses. Please see 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 15. We cannot today say that they may have simply been deceived, especially when we look at the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is offered as the ultimate proof of his deity and messiahship. The New Testament writers claim that they ate and they drank with him after 
his resurrection. Look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 and 40 through 41. Peter says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. These writers, same writers, claim that they saw and that they touched him. 1 John chapter 1 Verses 1 through 4. These writers leave us no room for saying anything like they were mistaken or they were deceived. Some skeptics have tried to offer this as an alternative that perhaps in their grief and loss over the crucifixion of Jesus, they hallucinated. Or maybe they saw grief-inspired visions of Jesus. Problem is, hallucinations and visions are very individualistic. By that we mean they are given only to individuals, not to large groups. At the same time, one person might see a hallucination or might have a vision, but not many at the same time. As outlined in the Gospels, as well as in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 through 8, Jesus appeared in person to many groups of people, sometimes over 500. Listen to what Paul writes. For I delivered to you first all of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. We really have no other choice. After this insurmountable amount of eyewitnesses, either the New Testament with its claims about Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah fulfilling the Old Testament prophets, as the resurrected Christ and Lord is a book of truth or it is a book of lies, which is more reasonable to believe. Now, there are certain implications that we have to deal with, that we are faced with, if the claims about Jesus are not true. Look with me, if you will, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. There, the historian writes, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took first place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of that house 
and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his wife, his betrothed wife, who was with child. If the record of the miracles and the resurrection is false, then the very carefully intertwined fact and fiction. Fact, this taxation, this forced registration of all the people of the land of Judea. It's attested to in many places. Is it reasonable that they would intertwine such fact with fiction and then claim that it was true? The authors suffered extreme hardship for what they knew would be a lie. If the Bible is not, if the New Testament is not a book of truth. Many people will lie. We know that. We live in an age where truth is precious and difficult to come by. Many people lie and believe lies. The apostles got nothing out of it. Many people will tell a story, a fib, just to do anything to get ahead. But the apostles got absolutely nothing out of it. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. For I think that God has displaced us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled we bless, being persecuted we endure, being defamed we entreat. We have been made as the filth of this world, the offscouring of all things until now. What was it the Apostle Paul got for holding to his testimony? Well, let's turn over to the next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And read verses 24 through 29. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? These letters are filled with rebuke of the Corinthians. The Corinthians would have every reason not to save these letters which exposed their many faults. The Corinthians had first-hand knowledge as to whether the apostles and Paul really suffered the hardships spoken of in these letters. They would have surely known if these were lies. If they knew the accounts of such hardship to be false, they would have quickly destroyed these letters written by a liar who embarrassingly wrote about their internal problems. So especially the author of half the books of the New Testament Paul suffered extreme hardship for a lie is unreasonable. It's illogical to believe that he would do that. Then we have to face the fact that the authors of the New Testament, the human authors of the New Testament, were martyred, killed for what they knew to be a lie. 
Many people in history have died for a lie. This is true. They sincerely believed it to be true. They were mistaken. But we've seen that the nature of the apostles' testimony as eyewitnesses of the resurrection does not allow for the possibility that they were sincerely mistaken. History and tradition record that James, the Lord's brother, was stoned to death. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. If the New Testament is a lie, they went to their death knowing that they were dying for a lie. In suffering and dying for a lie, they would have went against everything that Jesus taught and everything that they taught. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, let your word be your word, be your honor. In Ephesians 4, verse 25, Paul says, therefore, put in away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking. They taught people not to lie. They gave their lives for the things that they preached. And they believed it to be a lie. The, books with, the book with the world's highest standards and the loftiest goals that the world has ever seen. Could it have possibly been composed by liars, frauds, and deceivers? What book presents a higher standard of love and morality than the New Testament? Consider Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is the end goal of the law. Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul's discourse on love. Love suffers long and is kind, is not puffed up. This is what one must believe. If one chooses to believe that the New Testament, when it speaks of miracles, when it speaks of fulfilled messianic prophecies and resurrection, the counsel of Jesus, is a carefully constructed lie. They must believe that the authors received, uh, suffered extreme hardship for what they knew was false. That those same authors were martyred for what they knew while they were dying was a lie. And suffering and dying for a lie these authors would have went against everything that they and Jesus taught. And somehow these liars, frauds, and deceivers came up with a book containing the world's highest morals and standards and goals. I'm convinced today that those who do not believe the New Testament are those who, one, have never read the New Testament carefully, have not considered the logical implications of simply regarding it as a mixture of fact and fiction, but to those who will read it, I believe that they will find it has what is called the ring of truth, that it will convince one of the true identity of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. John himself, one of Jesus' followers, wrote, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 